0: Hosted by WealthManagement.com senior editor David Lennox.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. We have a returning guest this week, Jackie Bevilacqua. Jackie's an associate in the tax and trust and estates practice at law firm Katsy Korns. Her practice focuses on estate planning and estate and trust administration for a diverse clientele and she has significant experience with complex issues of gift, estate, and trust taxation. She also has a strong background in international estate planning, as well as FATCA compliance and pre-immigration tax planning. Thanks so much for joining us, Jackie.
2: Good to be here, Dave.
1: So the subject of today's episode is a sadly recent one, Chadwick Boseman. A versatile actor and star of multiple films, Boseman was best known for portraying heroes, specifically Black heroes, in films such as 42, Get On Up, Marshall, and, of course, the blockbuster superhero film, Black Panther. Black Panther was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and grossed over $1.3 billion worldwide, instantly making Bozeman an idol of millions. Bozeman shockingly packed, passed away on August 28th of this year, after a largely secret battle with colon cancer. A statement from his family read, Chadwick was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer in 2016, and battled with it these last four years as it progressed to stage four. A true fighter, Chadwick persevered through it all and brought you many of the films you've come to love so much. From Marshall to The Five Bloods, August Wilson's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and several more, all were filmed during and between countless surgeries and chemotherapy. It was the honor of his career to bring King T'Challa to life in Black Panther. Boseman's passing was treated by the world as if it were the death of a real-life monarch. And the mass outpourings of grief and testaments to his impact on millions of people that followed his death are perhaps the most powerful illustration of the impact of inclusion and diversity in mass media. Somehow I doubt that Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth, who portrayed Captain America and Thor respectively in their own Marvel blockbusters, would have received quite the same reaction if it were they that had passed instead. With that editorializing out of the way, there isn't really much more of a story here. Bozeman's estate, like his diagnosis, is private, and details are highly unlikely to ever come to light. That being said, this is still an important moment in which the cultural zeitgeist is more acutely aware of illness, death, and planning. So we should take advantage of it. And that's before we even think about COVID-19. So the two main teachable elements of Bozeman's tragic story for advisors and clients are, one, that he was young, and two, that he was diagnosed with an illness. Given that we're deep in the midst of a global pandemic, let's start with the second one. Jackie, what are some of the estate planning ramifications of a client being diagnosed with an illness?
2: Well, I, I think that we typically do the same estate planning, whether or not a client is diagnosed with an illness or the client just happens to want an estate plan in place and should something happen. That said, a diagnosis, especially something that's likely to or could be terminal, is going to create more of an urgency for getting those estate planning documents in place. And Now that's not just the documents that say what happens to your assets should you pass away, but what happens while you continue to fight this diagnosis. So you want to have a healthcare proxy in place, you want to have a living will if you live in a state that respects living wills, and you want to have a power of attorney so that during long hospital stays or periods of incapacity, uh, your finances can be taken care of by your agent.
1: So, Jackie, you mentioned three documents there, and they do three different things, but I think to a lot of people they kind of use those words interchangeably. So you mind just taking a few moments to break down kind of what each of those documents is actually intended to do?
2: Sure, well, your will, I think that's the one most people have uh, the most understanding of, distributes your assets upon your death. Your healthcare proxy appoints someone during your life and it, it expires with your death to make healthcare decisions for you if you can't make those healthcare decisions. And you can put in your healthcare proxy certain instructions or certain guidance that you want your um, health agent to know of. For example, if you wanna have your organs donated upon your death, if you want to include a do not resuscitate direction, you can put that in there. So it takes some of the decision making, which can be very hard on an agent who's close to you out of the picture for them, because you've said what you would want to happen in that situation. And then a power of attorney essentially allows your agent to. Step into your shoes when it comes to your personal affairs. Your finances are the most relevant of those, so they can sign documents for you. They can access your accounts. They can pay your bills, etc.
1: So I'm glad you brought up you know, this idea of, of DNRs and in the, in the, in the you know, do not resuscitate orders in, in terms of a healthcare proxy, because again, that's another thing that I think people hear healthcare proxy and then they just assume it's just a DNR. You know, they think, oh, it's whether I pull the plug or not. But really, that document is so much more when done properly than just do you want to be taken off life support.
2: Sure, and I think one of the most important things that goes into a healthcare proxy can be that provision on organ donation because that's the difference between you know whether or not you could save other lives should you happen to pass away. Could you give someone the gift of sight? Could you, if, especially if you have a type of illness that hasn't been well studied, could your organs or your body be used for medical research that could potentially lead to treatments in the future, at least to a better understanding? So it's a, it's a short document, there's not too much in there but it does express your wishes and it's more than just a DNR that you would sort of sign an initial at the hospital.
1: Absolutely. And so, you know, these are the basic documents that I mean, pretty much everyone should have these in place, but maybe if you're diagnosed with an illness, they should really light a fire under you to, to, to get them squared away. Let's say you're diagnosed with something that's not necessarily going to be terminal right now. Maybe something that's going to be a little more long-term, something that less cancer and more, you know, diabetes or something like that, where you're looking at more sort of a lifetime of dealing with it. What are some of the, the planning ramifications of that sort of illness?
2: Again, I, I think that everyone should have an estate plan because no one knows if they're going to be in a car accident tomorrow and we can't really predict the future. A diagnosis of something like diabetes or even a diagnosis of cancer tends to, as you said, light that fire under people. It makes the need for an estate planning more obvious to people who aren't estate planners, but you know, I would say it's just important to have an estate plan in place, especially if you know that you might need it. I wouldn't necessarily do a different estate plan for someone based on uh, a diagnosis of diabetes. I would just say, let's make sure it's in place. Let's make sure that your healthcare agent is always up to date, is local. You know, some people do a healthcare proxy and they'll appoint their brother in California when they're living in New York or they'll appoint someone who's not always available. If you know that you have an ongoing illness or something that could become an ongoing issue to deal with, you want to have someone who's actually present and available. So probably in your same city uh, and also who's going to be able to be somewhat involved in your medical care. And as far as your fiduciaries and your will, some people will create a will and they don't look at it for 20 years and then you go to probate it and you know, the fiduciaries have predeceased them or they had a falling out with one of the fiduciaries and they no longer wish to serve. So it's important to just make sure those are up to date. And I would say, and again, these things are important for everyone because you never know what's going to happen. You can get a prognosis of living for five years or you know, like Kobe Bryant, you can, take a helicopter flight and life ends in a moment without any warning. So everyone should be doing these things. And I think that one thing I like to do for my clients who want to keep in touch with me uh, on a regular basis is just update a chart of their financial and other assets to assist with administration of their estate when it happens or you know when the time comes. Because one, you can be dealing with a fiduciary and executor who doesn't have as good of a grasp of what you have that, uh, as you think they might. Uh, even if that person is your spouse, they might not know what all your separate accounts are, or how to necessarily um, deal with them. But especially if this person is someone who's not a member of your household, uh, and that can be you know, your adult children, or nieces and nephews, whomever, or friends, you know, just people who aren't involved in your day-to-day life, you can mention to them your assets from time to time and they're gonna know the big ones, they're gonna know, you know, so-and-so owned this house and they had a retirement account with such and such, but it's uh, difficult for them to track it down in a timely manner if there's not some sort of documentation or information on all of those accounts that you can compile during your lifetime.
1: Yeah, this is where communication is a really important aspect of, of the whole plan, right? Like we talk When we talk about executors and, and choosing the right people and communicating your wishes to them, you know, that's part of this, but it also comes into play you know, with these estate planning documents that govern during your life that we were just talking about sort of in you know, your healthcare proxies and, and your powers of attorney. Just like anything else, that those are words on paper and you're writing them in, anticip- in anticipation of something happening, but they're not going to be able to cover the entire breadth of every nuanced situation that could, occur, could come up with your health so it's best even when you're naming someone who's close and is actually capable of, of pulling them out it's also good to you know have the client sit down and talk with that person so that you know they know vaguely at least sort of generally what this person's ideas on their health are and what they what they would like to happen to them once they're incapacitated god forbid and so it, it, it you know it's a very complicated problem and, and the solution a lot of times of the healthcare proxy is sort of a very simple blunt instrument so you need to flesh that out with the human aspect so you know there's one other big element of this um is that and that's special needs trusts i think that's sort of very commonly misunderstood a uh, vehicle that, that can often come into play in these kind of situations um and a lot of it is just the nomenclature right people hear the term special needs and in our society that has a sort of a very specific meaning that this is someone who is um you know mentally challenged in some way but that's not really I mean, it is for people who have that, you know, sort of disabilities like that, but a special needs trust can can do so much more than that.
2: Sure. And, you know, the area of special needs trusts are uh, very particular, I would say. And I have a number of colleagues who excel in that area or, or who have made um, a niche for themselves in doing this kind of planning, because generally the idea of such trusts is to shield some of your assets from uh, the government if you need government benefits, primarily that would be... Uh, Medicaid or, you know, long-term care that would be um, paid for by Medicaid. But people don't tend to understand when they're well that the cost of their health and maintenance could go up to something like $20,000 a month. And even if you're well off, that can eat through your assets pretty quickly. Uh, If you have two or three million dollars, how long can you keep that if you are Living in a facility with round the clock medical assistance. So, that type of planning can be done. There is, you know, again, this isn't necessarily my wheelhouse, but there's a look back period. So, you can't necessarily make a, a gift to a special needs trust and six months later get on Medicaid. I believe the look back is five years. But if you have sort of a long term chronic illness, and old age is also something that could be considered. In this regard, um, people can transfer some of their assets to trusts when they're still well but aging in order to shield some of those assets from the government should they have an extended old age. Um, you know, people who live to be 90 plus, some are still completely independent until they pass away, but many do need costly care.
1: Uh, another interesting element of this Chadwick Bozeman story was kind of the secrecy of it all and and this idea of secrecy be it in illness or just about assets this is an intersection with a lot of estate planning you know runs into these these questions of who do I tell about what and how much and what implication does that have on my plan have you had any experience with clients who sort of wanted to keep things you know sort of secret from their families until you know the last minute like this
2: Yes, I think where we see it most commonly is when people don't want their children to know how much money those children are eventually going to get. The fear being that the children won't try as hard, they won't work as hard because they know that when they're 35, they're getting $10 million or something along those lines. It's It's got to be taken on a case by case basis. Um, I wouldn't say like any 18 year old needs to know the exact amount that they're going to inherit one day. because. Of course, that's probably going to be subject to a lot of change before they get it. You know, anticipated change and unanticipated change. But ideally, I think your beneficiaries, especially beneficiaries who aren't necessarily getting a specific pecuniary bequest, so if you're giving someone $500,000 and it's a friend of yours, they don't really need to know that amount. But if you're leaving your entire estate or half of your entire estate to, a child, let's say, you might want that child to know what your entire estate consists of, especially if, let's say, the other half is going to a child from another marriage or someone that they don't necessarily have a close or personal relationship with. So you'd want people to have some understanding of what they should be getting just to essentially keep everyone on the same page and keep everyone uh, honest and happy because you don't want to get into a situation where you haven't mentioned anything and and people do this but you know you don't want to get into a situation where you haven't mentioned anything about where your money's going and then you pass away and all of a sudden a lot of resentments crop up and families fighting when they should be mourning you
1: yeah so i mean ultimately and i guess you know our audience should probably be able to tell this by the fact that, that we keep sort of branching out into other elements of estate planning from from this initial point of illness is that illness, it's hard to plan directly for, right? Like anything else in estate planning, you're planning for when you die. So it's very hard to sort of project like, oh, if this happens, then this is exactly what you need to do. Um, But it is very useful moments like this as sort of motivators, because a lot of the documents that you are going to want in place when you get sick are these very basic living wills, powers of attorney, these documents that everyone should have in place and the illness can just act as the motivator that makes you sit up and say, oh, okay, let me do this. Or in this case of Chadwick Bozeman, you know, someone else's high profile illness is maybe a way to take your clients and, and really sort of push them towards like, hey, you know, everyone should have this stuff.
2: Yeah. Another thing I thought was interesting about Chadwick Bozeman is he got married right before he passed away, uh, which you know, certainly has. I, I don't know where he was domiciled, what state, I guess I should assume California, but it certainly has implications for your estate and how it passes. Um, And I've known other people who have done that. I've known people in long-term relationships who have gotten married before one passed away of a somewhat sudden but uh, quick-moving illness where they've gotten married so that the surviving partner could obtain spousal benefits under a pension plan. So sometimes it's sort of like the, the tail wagging the dog. Usually, you have people form a life together and then create estate plans, but sometimes you have people creating estate plans and then realizing, you know, hey, uh, this works better if we formalize our relationship.
1: So this idea of getting married you know, close to the end is, is sort of interesting because it has a lot of different implications. Like as you mentioned, a lot of times it's sort of um, a positive thing, right? Where I'm doing this for the reason that you get my pension, or we're getting older, we never intended to get married, but I want to be able to have you know, unlimited visitation rights in the hospital, these, these sorts of things, there are specific reasons. But, I mean, you look on the other side, you know, the same rules that sort of govern what can happen in that case with these sort of positive marriages of, I want you to get this stuff, also govern the other side of, you know, the sort of fights over, for lack of a better term, gold diggers. Right? I mean, one of the most famous estate planning cases of all time is Anna Nicole Smith which was another when we got married right before this guy died and, you know, yeah. he was older. So we could have foreseen it, but then that ended up with years and years of fighting. So it's, it's just further proof that it's important to, you know, if you're, when getting married like this or doing something in anticipation of a death, that your intentions are like very clearly spelled out and explained to everyone involved so that there's no confusion afterwards. So that's about all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Jackie Bevilacqua.
2: Thanks so much for having me on, Dave.
1: And for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous.
0: Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com.